1: Caught in the cross lights. Several athletes caught in the cross lights this week. We'll tell you who. It's not a good segment to be in. And in segment four, it's the start of Major League Baseball season. We're going to talk to Maury Brown with the com. That's coming up in segment four. A couple of other notes. Visit my sports business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand at sportsbusinessradio.com. Become our Facebook friend and follow me via Twitter just Visit my blog at SportsBusinessRadio.com. You can link to the Sports Business Radio Facebook and Twitter pages. My handle on Twitter, at SBRadio. I'm joined in studio by my producer, Bobby Courser. Bobby, six years ago this week, Sports Business Radio launched, and our first guest was NBA Commissioner David Stern. Six years. It's been a good, uh, good
2: run. It has been a good run, and you know what's funny is I was thinking about that the other day we're sitting where we taped the show about maybe 30 feet from the office when i first got the call that hey you need to go tape a, a show with these two guys i had never met you
1: two knuckleheads
2: two guys and they were like and i was like okay well who's our first guest david stern i'm like commissioner of the nba and they're like yeah i was like all right these guys are legit so you know and it was it was a cool interview and i'm sure we had our 500th episode coming up and that's radio tv and, you know, the local shows, and national shows. So we're going to also take a look back at some of these things. I got a feeling we might play some of those clips from the early Stern interview because we had him do something that he doesn't normally do. Yeah. And we had fun that day. So look for that coming up. But, yeah, six years. its It's been fun.
1: The other thing is is I'm just going to come clean right now. I got absolutely annihilated in the sports business radio, radio uh, bracket challenge. So, look. I really put some time into filling out my bracket this year. I've come in third for the third year in a row between me, Bobby, and Nathan. And, you know, I don't know. Maybe I just don't know college basketball. Maybe I just have to admit it and uh, say, look, I'm a radio show host, but uh, when it comes to filling out my bracket, I guess I'm not very good.
2: You know, it's not your fault. Kentucky and Kansas really messed it up. But, hey, I got to gloat. I am sitting in first place, and I do hope I win.
1: See, and when your favorite team is Michigan State and they've done what they've done the last two years, you know, it makes it filling out the bracket a lot easier. All right. The sports business radio headlines of the week coming up next. A contract fit for a king. That's in headlines. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. I'm digging the music. (laughs) This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where Sports Business Education got its start at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. It's the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs. Themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit SportsBusinessRadio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center, passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. This is Sports Business Radio. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit WarsawCenter.com for more information. Headline number one, it's March Madness. It's the final four in Indianapolis at Lucas Oil Stadium. Bobby, uh, 70,000 seats, I guess it's configured for. We've got Butler, West Virginia, Duke, and Michigan State. You're Michigan State Spartans. uh, You know, everyone expected Kansas and Kentucky to get there, especially me. That's what I had in my bracket. I don't know. It's an interesting final four. Duke definitely saves the day for TV ratings. Michigan State, high-profile coach Tom Izzo, they help as well. But uh, West Virginia, obviously a two-seed, not a total shock. Butler getting in. Butler is very good, but not a high-profile team. But it's interesting. Butler's the host school. They're five miles from campus from uh, the Final Four. Yeah, and, you know— In early
2: rounds, uh, Host University is not allowed to have their own team there because it's obviously a conflict of interest. Now, with this, listen, Butler making it to the Final Four was a total shot in the dark. But as a five seed, it was legitimate. But listen, two five seeds, a one and a two seed. Yeah, TV numbers aren't going to be the greatest, but you're right. Duke definitely saved the day because they are the main draw and they are going to be the last game played on Saturday. And you know what? Hey, I'm, I'm happy that they have that opportunity because, listen, they are saving the tournament.
1: Who's going to be playing on Monday night? Michigan State and Duke. Okay. That would be a rematch of, what, 2000, I believe? They faced each other. Michigan State, Tom Izzo got his uh, His
0: first and and only
1: title. Okay. I'm going to go Duke Butler, but, uh, you know, I've been wrong on everything with this tournament, so West Virginia and Michigan State will probably be the championship game. (laughs) Go to Vegas on that. Um, We had Greg Shaheen the Senior Vice President of Business and Basketball Operations for the NCAA, the guy who runs the NCAA tournament on our show just two weeks ago. We talked about an expanded field for the NCAA tournament. We talked about the potential of opting out of the contract with CBS, which the NCAA has until August to do. And I told you that I thought what would happen is that the NCAA would rip up that contract with CBS, leave $2 billion in three years on the table, but then would sign a long term multi billion dollar deal and at the same time expand the tournament. Well, this week, looks like uh, Big Ten Commissioner Jim Delaney, who's very involved in these sorts of talks, he kind of spilled the beans a little bit. He said that it's probable that the tournament field will be expanded to 96 teams. This would be starting in 2011. So I guess we'll see how it all plays out, but uh, sounds like they're going to rip that contract up with CBS, put it out for bid with the networks. And there's been talk, as we discussed a few weeks ago, that it would be CBS and TNT in a joint venture. TNT might do some of the early round games. They would Uh, also share the cost, because it's going to be even more expensive, obviously, for a 96-team tournament. But look, this is all about the NCAA seeing the ability to make more money with more games with a 96-team field instead of 65, and it looks like they're going to do it.
2: It's not only going to become March Madness, it's going to become Spring Madness, because it's going to take most of March and most of April to run the tournament, but, you know, it's a gamble. You're leaving behind a lot of money on the table in hopes that you have enough sponsorship and enough corporate dollars to drive that in order to expand the field. Because if you don't, it could be ugly. But maybe the economy is in a good enough spot now where they feel comfortable.
1: Yeah, it's definitely – I mean, look, in this economy, if you said, hey, leave $2 billion on the table, most people would go, what? But it's the NCAA March Madness. I get why the NCAA will do it. Um, Frankly, I'd rather see them fix the BCS. Then the tournament, because the tournament didn't really need fixing. I like the way it's been with the 65-team field, but hey, what do I know? Our next headline. Cavaliers forward LeBron James has reached a new long-term sponsorship deal with Nike that's going to keep Nike and James together for at least the next seven years. It's according to Brian Windhorst of the Cleveland Plain Dealer. Now, James's original deal was seven years, $93 million. It was signed in 2003 when he was a rookie we all remember uh, adidas and reebok and nike and everyone stalking james since the time he was in eighth grade nike entered the game late but got lebron to sign that lucrative deal it's been a pretty good marriage lebron's shoes haven't sold as well as kobe's shoes and some others but people expect that if lebron starts winning some championships he'll start selling more shoes the other thing that's interesting and this is why you know, I think LeBron's going back to Cleveland, A, because he can make $30 million more from the Cavs than he can from anywhere else. But also, the Cavaliers are going to be uh, owned by a Chinese corporation and Dan Gilbert. So LeBron's going to be able to sell even more shoes in China with this ownership group that's coming on board with the Cavs. I don't think LeBron's going to New York. There's not a clause in his new contract with Nike that says, hey, LeBron, if you go to New York, Chicago, or L.A., you get a bonus for going to a bigger market.
2: And we talk about leaving money on the table. And listen, you're going to be given $30 million to stay put, not to mention a pretty nice new lucrative contract from Nike. I really don't think LeBron's going anywhere. He really has no reason to.
1: Well, the thing that people don't talk about is Dan Gilbert, the owner of the Cavaliers, who's been on this show, spends a lot of money to make LeBron happy. They have the nicest practice facility in the NBA. Uh, They fly first class wherever they go, private jets, Anytime LeBron's going to the All-Star game or anything like that, he's totally taken care of. It is a first-class operation. I don't think LeBron is going to leave that to go to New York and play for really uh, what amounts to uh, a step above a D-League team.
2: Yeah, no, and you know what? Listen, Cleveland is in competition every year to win the Eastern Division. They're in competition to run deep in the playoffs. And if you leave Cleveland, you're right, and go play for New York, you might as well just get used to you know sitting in the bottom of the cellar because they're a bad, bad team.
1: Our next headline, the Phoenix Suns announced this week they're going to play the Dallas Mavericks in an outdoor preseason game on October 9th in Indian Wells, California. TNT is going to carry the game. Tickets go on sale soon. You can get them for as cheap as $10. It's going to mark the third consecutive year. The team has hosted an outdoor preseason game at the 15,600-seat Indian Wells Tennis Garden. What's that about? It's about some of the minority owners of the Suns live in Indian Wells. They thought a few years ago it would be cool to have a game outside. It's kind of a novelty, and uh, that's why they're doing that game. Our last headline of the week, I like this one. Miami Dolphins owner Stephen Ross. He's the guy who's brought in all these minority investors, superstars, from Gloria Stefan to the Williams sisters to Tiger Woods. Well, he purchased Kangaroo TV in December. He's offering to give $5,000 of the units to each of the NFL's 31 other teams or 155,000 devices. In return, the teams would promote and market the devices for sale to their fans. Now, Kangaroo, which is being renamed Game Day Vision, makes devices that show replays, other games, and offers fantasy stats to use at sporting events. It also shows the NFL's Red Zone channel. Why is this a good idea, Bobby? I think it's a great idea because it's becoming more and more difficult to get the average fan off the couch where they've got all the technology in front of them to go to the stadium. Now, if you can put some of this technology in their hand, you're going to have a better chance of getting them to go to the stadium. I mean, look, I don't play fantasy football, but there's a lot of fantasy football nerds out there. They want to know what's going on. They love the NFL Red Zone channel, and now with this device— I think it could be a hot seller at NFL games.
2: I agree, and I've actually used a uh, Kangaroo TV, basically what it is. It's a small portable television that you get channels just inside the arena. And I've used it as a race aspect when I've gone to car races. But this makes total sense for the NFL. Not only do you get to watch your team that you're playing and you get to see the replays. Because listen, you and I both know sitting in the stands and the nosebleeds, even with a giant HD screen, it's still tough to see stuff. Now you have your own personal TV, you have up-close action, and you can flip around. Not to mention the fantasy sex. You're right. We all play fantasy football. And if you have that information in real time... It just puts you a step ahead of your your competition, and I think it's a great idea.
1: Well, and everyone, this is where the game experience is going. You're going to see arenas and stadiums outfitted more and more with technology to uh, enhance the fans' experience when they attend a live game because that's what you're competing with, with HDTV, with NFL Red Zone channels, and everything else that's out there. All right, coming up next, we've got some people that are caught in the cross lights and then after that maury brown from the biz of will join us to preview the upcoming major league baseball season you're listening to sports business radio we will be right back sports business radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is NBA Commissioner David Stern. I thought you did a wonderful job of handling the game ball situation. You listened to your players and the owners, and ultimately, I thought you got it right. What did you learn from that experience?
0: It probably pays to go the extra step to build a consensus, even though you don't think there's any other view that makes sense.
1: My guest is Jack Nicholas. What are the main lessons the game of golf can teach us if we pay close enough attention?
0: You develop relationships with people. I think you play 18 holes of golf with
1: somebody. You get to know them pretty well. We're joined by Bill Hancock. He's the executive director of the BCS.
0: What we want is for the best two teams to play in the championship game. Beyond that, I'm not sure it's really fair to say what's good for the BCS or or what's bad for the BCS.
1: Follow us at sportsbusinessradio.com and on Twitter at SB Radio. For an in depth analysis of the week's PR nightmare, Sports Business Radio presents Caught in the Crosslights. Well, we have several athletes who are sharing the spotlight or the crosslight this week. Let's start with Tiger Woods. Last week, we did a best of Sports Business Radio show, so we really didn't get the chance to address Tiger's interviews that he did uh, a few weeks back with ESPN and with the Golf Channel. And the interesting strategy with that was that basically they did these during the NCAA tournament. They did it at a time where everyone was watching TV to see the healthcare bill. And, um, a lot of people were out and about on a weekend on a Sunday, there was no forewarning of the fact that Tiger was going to be doing his first interviews. Tiger set ground rules. You can only do five minutes, no more than that. And, uh, you know, he's, I guess agreed to answer questions, but you know lots of rules and regulations. Well, guess what? The Masters is coming up this week and there's more rules and regulations as we've been telling you for the last few weeks there would be when he goes to Augusta. On Monday, Tiger Woods is going to give his first press conference at Augusta National Golf Course. And as we've told you, only uh sports and news media outlets will be admitted into the tournament. So you won't see TMZ. You won't see Entertainment Tonight. You won't see non-sports and non-news outlets that are allowed in to cover the press conference or the tournament when it takes place next week at Augusta. Augusta National has set their rules for airing the Tiger Woods press conference, and here they are. Basically, Tiger Woods' Monday press conference at the Masters can be used free of charge. But there are limits on the use after the live broadcast to 48 hours after the press conference. So 48 hours after the press conference, if you're airing footage of the Tiger Woods press conference and you don't have the written permission of Augusta National, you can probably expect to be sued. You can probably expect to get a nasty letter. And you're going to probably find yourself in some hot water. Um, Bobby, the other thing that they're doing is they're limiting the clips that can be shown to three minutes. So Golf Channel, ESPN News, anyone else that's out there can't just say, okay, we're going to rebroadcast Tiger Woods's press conference in its entirety if you missed it. You can only show three minutes within 48 hours after Monday's press conference, and then it goes bye-bye.
2: It sounds a lot like the early agreement with the Olympics and NBC Sports. It really does, where they where they control the amount of stuff that ESPN and those guys could play, and ESPN and those guys have kind of gotten around it by you show still photos. But you're right. Augusta has the right to make the rule on this. It is their course. It is their tournament. It is technically their press conference with Tiger. But listen, I think most people will tune in to see it live first. And then, you know, the editors and everybody will pick the juiciest sound bites, and stuff that people really want to know the answer to.
1: Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see what kind of an afterlife that press conference has on the internet. And again, you know, is someone out there going to put, okay, here's a three minute clip. I'm going to put it right next to this three minute clip and then basically, you know, just run them side by side so they can uh, fulfill however many minutes Tiger winds up speaking. It'll be interesting to see Tiger answer questions. Uh, we know that Ari Flesher. Is not working with Tiger anymore. So it's going to be interesting. I mean, you know, 43 million people tuned in to watch Tiger win his first Masters in 1997. And I have said that I think 50 million people will tune in to watch this. I think it'll be the most watched golf tournament that we've seen that CBS has had with Augusta National. There's a lot of casual fans that are going to tune in to watch this tournament because it's a compelling story. They want to see, okay, How does this turn out? I don't know that Augusta is going to tell us a true story because it's really an insulated bubble, as we've discussed on the show. But there's going to be a lot of people, especially if Tiger is in contention on Sunday, those ratings are going to be through the roof.
2: Oh, absolutely. And ESPN is loving it because they had the first two rounds, you know, and people are going to tune in to see that because, listen, you'll know halfway through the day on Friday, if Tiger's going to make it to the weekend. And you and I both know the executives at CBS are hoping and praying that he is somewhere close within maybe six, seven shots because, as we know, Tiger has the ability to close at Augusta, and if he's close, people are going to tune in.
1: Yeah, we'll see. Um, The other bad news for Team Tiger this week is there was a woman that came out, and you know, there's women coming out almost seemingly every week, but there's a woman that came out and said that Tiger's inner circle, including his agent, Mark Steinberg, who's been on this show before um, from IMG, that he knew what was going on with Tiger, and in fact, that Tiger sent this woman to Mark Steinberg to, quote-unquote, be, you know, taken care of. Now, here's the thing. I said this many times on the show before. I, I can't imagine that Mark Steinberg, that Tiger's caddy, Stevie Williams, that... Some of the sports marketing executives that work for companies that sponsored Tiger, that they didn't know that Tiger was running around like he was. I can't imagine they didn't know that. But this is the first time a woman has come out and brought Mark Steinberg into this mess. And I'll tell you this. It's not good for IMG, and it's not good for Mark Steinberg. I don't think it's a a crippler. But I definitely think that's the kind of thing that uh, it's not good for business when IMG and Mark Steinberg gets drawn into this mess and it it just makes them look like they were accomplices to the crime.
2: No, it totally does. And, you know, we've you know, and we respect Mark Steinberg. He's been a guest on the show and he's been fairly forward with us when we've, you know, asked him the tough questions. But when you have an allegation like this, you're right. It totally blows everything wide open because you, you now have to really start thinking and questioning. Who else really knew? And we know that Tiger said it was only him. He was the only one. But you and I both know there were other people that had to know just because of the way Tiger is and the way he traveled and the way things were done. It's just, I mean, we're both around the industry. We know how that happens. And there's no way that one person only knows what's going on. Somebody else also has to know.
1: Well, and it goes back to the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is that, as I've said for years, whether it's Tiger or many of the other athletes or celebrities in the world, they're enabled. They're around people who enable them to act like this, to think they're above the law, to think they're above the rules of a marriage or or anything like that. And, look, Tiger has not committed a crime. There are lots of celebrities that have done what Tiger has done. And I'll say it again, and then I'll be quiet on this topic for the rest of this show. The reason this is a big story with Tiger Woods is because he was paid $100 million a year by sponsors to tie their brand to his brand. Tiger Woods is a fraud, and he may be a champion golfer, but the package Tiger Woods that we thought we were getting, the family man, the guy with kids, the guy with the nice smile, the guy who drove a Buick, it was all a fraud. So now it'll be interesting to see going forward, how does Tiger do? I fully expect, again, I've said this before, this is going to be the Kobe Bryant story. Tiger Woods probably will win more majors, and a few years from now, he'll be back on top of the world. And there will be some companies that say, hey, we want to do business with you. And there will be some that stop doing business with him that want to come back, and Tiger's going to say, you know what, sorry, you weren't with me when it was tough. You're not going to come back, just like it was with Kobe Bryant. The other athletes organization that I wanted to discuss this week, how about the Pittsburgh Steelers? One of the model organizations in all of sports over the last 50 years. The Rooney family, one of the model ownership groups in sports from day one in Pittsburgh. They must be beyond disappointed. I mean, they released a statement this week saying they were disappointed. Huh, that's an understatement with the behavior of Ben Roethlisberger and Santonio Holmes. And look, everyone's innocent until proven guilty. But the one thing that you can't argue with is that Ben Roethlisberger and Santonio Holmes put themselves in situations where something questionable could happen, where they could be targets, or where they made a very, very poor decision. And, you know, I'm not saying these guys should live in a plastic bubble But if you're Ben Roethlisberger, you probably don't want to go into a VIP private area in a bar where 20-year-olds hang out a year after you've been accused of something criminal. And if you're Santonia Holmes, you probably don't want to be caught in a similar situation in a VIP part of a club and have a woman accuse you of something. And I'm not saying that these guys aren't guilty because they may be guilty. But the thing that you can't doubt is that... Athletes like this who are high-profile are targets. They're high-profile figures. Everyone's watching them. And these guys have put a black eye on the Steelers organization, and they may find themselves in a lot of hot trouble legally.
2: You know, let me ask you a question about Ben Roethlisberger. Do you think he's being reckless? I mean, this is his second sexual assault allegation. He had the motorcycle crash. Is it just something that he's just kind of – it's one thing after the other where eventually something's going to happen? Or is it just maybe the guy's got the worst luck in the world?
1: I don't know. I mean, I think he makes poor decisions. He may have bad luck, but he still makes poor decisions to put himself in situations where he could uh, be taken advantage of, I guess. Or the guy's a scumbag, and he's done this twice now. I don't know. Or maybe he's done it one out of two times. I don't know. I'm not in on the investigation. All I know is if I had been accused of what he had been accused of the first time, I probably wouldn't have been in a bar in Georgia with a bunch of 20-year-olds around or left myself in a he-said-she-said type of a situation where it's my word against someone else's word because with the track record that he has, he's probably not going to win that battle, or if he does win that battle, it's going to cost him a heck of a lot of money, which it's costing him right now to win that battle, and there's always going to be people scratching their heads saying, hmm, where there's smoke, there's fire, you know. Is this guy a scumbag? So, you know, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how the league deals with this. And uh, those are our guys that are caught in the cross lights this week. I'm sure we'll have someone else next week. All right. Coming up next, Maury Brown from thebizofbaseball.com. The Major League Baseball season is getting underway this week. I'm very excited. I always love the first few weeks of the baseball season. And uh, we'll discuss that. Lots of business in baseball this year. You're listening to Sports. Business radio I'll be right back. .com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. Well, baseball season is upon us and Maury Brown from the com joins us regularly and we wanted to have him on as the baseball season gets ready to get underway. Maury, thanks for joining us. How you been?
0: Hey, I'm doing well, Brian. Thanks for having me.
1: So, you know, we've had the off season, lots of Teams have helped themselves. Some haven't done anything. Uh, give me your top two or three storylines headed into this baseball season.
0: Well, I think probably the biggest storyline um, to watch right now might be the, the Seattle Mariners. I mean, they did an awful lot of movement um, in the offseason. They picked up Cliff Lee. Now, Cliff Lee's you know, dealing with a couple of minor injuries here. Um, he's had a groin injury that looks like uh, he's been able to throw off to the side um, without any discomfort. And so that was kind of a major acquisition, and that kind of ties in with uh, the Roy Halladay deal, having him go to the Phillies and Cliff Lee winding up with Seattle, which was a surprise to Lee, um, but I think was probably a really good move for Seattle. What will be interesting to see out of that deal is um, I think they improved themselves in terms of defense, and they certainly picked up a frontline guy in Lee. Um, they have Felix Hernandez as their number two, but their pitching staff after that, their three, four, five guys, are going to be, a question and the power at the plate is going to be something to look at. So that'll be interesting to watch. The other team was uh, probably the Boston Red Sox, who were on the wrong side of run differential last year. They improved themselves dramatically in the defensive end, uh, picking up the likes of Mike Cameron. Um, they got Adrian Beltre from the the Mariners to fill the, the third base side and add themselves a little bit of um, defense there. Um, they think that he'll probably improve um, in his power numbers. He was he was really soured at at uh, in Seattle last year. So I think he'll probably do better in, in Fenway Park with the short left field there. So those are probably the two main teams that I would try and, and keep an eye on. They'll probably be the interesting ones to watch.
1: Were there any deals that were signed this offseason that you kind of shook your head? Either way, too much or too little money?
0: Yeah, yeah, I would have to say the Jason Bay deal to the Mets seemed a little bit of a head scratcher. Um, you know, it's, probably, it's a cavernous place. It's more of a pitcher's park. Um, Bay isn't known as a real power guy. Um, and they needed pitching. I mean, and they wound up getting a guy that, you know, they spent quite a bit of money on a guy that they probably didn't need to if they had waited on themselves out. Um, what we've seen in these free agent cycles is that um, the further away that you move from the winter meetings, the more uh, bargains are out there in the free agency sphere. So uh, I think the Mets overpaid for Bay. I think they probably spent on an area that they didn't need. They needed pitching. And uh, from, from the likes of Johan Santana in spring training, and he was just getting lit up in his last couple of games. So it's going to be really interesting to see how they do. Um, I have the Mets moving down um, in power rankings right out of the gate and they not recover from it.
1: Yeah, I talked to some people out in New York, and they said it's going to be another ugly season for the Mets. Uh, the Yankees, obviously they won it all last year. Uh, what do you expect from them this year?
0: Well, I would probably expect much of the same. I mean, they're probably a good bet to be right there and be competitive. They did get a bit older. You know, and that's one of the things to certainly look for. You know, they still have um, Jorge Posada behind the plate. They lost uh, um, Mickey Matsui, and that was, you know, a bit of a power thing. Um, So it'll be interesting to see they're going to put Curtis Granderson in center, um, which was an acquisition from the Tigers. So, I mean, they're always interesting to watch. You know, whether Andy Pettin will continue to dip from, you know, the the fountain of youth is going to always be a question. Um, So, you know, I mean, they, they looked pretty solid last year. And it's going to be one of those things to watch. They're
1: always the team to watch. So Joe Maurer signs an enormous contract with the Twins. Obviously, he's synonymous with their organization. They're moving into a new stadium. Explain to people, more how when you move into a new ballpark, you have more money to spend on someone like Joe Maurer.
0: Well, I mean, the situation with the Twins is a prime example of um, being in a prior situation where you're se- uh, sharing it. With another, uh, with another sports club. Um, they were sharing the Metrodome with the Vikings, so the revenues were being split up mostly to the advantage of the Vikings. Um, there were no naming rights that they could you know, garner. Um, and then, of course, there's all the excitement of what I call the, the new stadium smell. I mean, right now, the Twins have sold um, over 100,000 more tickets than they did of all of last year. I mean, it's, a, it's an amazing testament to what a new stadium can do. And the Joe Mauer deal is is a prime example of that. Uh, you know, it was a, it was a it's a mighty deal, a huge deal that basically places him as the third most lucrative active contract right now. And so, I mean, it was in some sense, it's a really good thing for baseball. It'll be interesting to see how it impacts um, their pitching and their flexibility in the future. I mean, they lost Joe Nathan. They're going to go by uh, closer by committee, and I think that that's going to be something that's going to be interesting to see. Um, They basically retain a guy that they already had. Whether they're going to continue to have money to roll into for flexibility in the future is going to be uh, the thing to watch. But it is one of those things that, you know, Minnesota's been a mid-market and a a small player in terms of small payroll doing quite a bit. It'll be interesting to see how their payroll increases and whether they're able to sustain it.
1: Yeah, I mean, didn't they cut off their season ticket sales at like 24000 they did,
0: and, I mean, that's an amazing thing. It's a great testament. It's a beautiful ballpark. I mean, it really is. They, they had to do quite an engineering feat to, to slide it into such a small footprint, um, but it's really spectacular. I think that Populous, the former HOK Sport, um, really did a fantastic job on the design, and, and it, I think it's going to be great. I mean, the big question everybody has, of course, is how is, you know, spring, early spring baseball and maybe late if they go into the postseason, how the weather's going to impact things. They don't have that guaranteed walk-up that they did before in the Metrodome uh, with an open-air stadium now, so that's going to be the thing to watch.
1: We're joined by Maury Brown with thebizofbaseball.com. Maury, uh, ugly situation in Los Angeles with the McCourts, Jamie and Frank. Looks like August 30th they're going to be going to court, and a judge is going to help decide who gets control or ownership of the Dodgers. We've seen that they really didn't make any signings this offseason. We know Manny Ramirez comes off the books at the end of this season. What's the future for the Dodgers?
0: Well, I mean, the real scary thing is, is that there's been some stuff that's come out of the divorce papers that makes it sound like the, the Dodgers are going to increase ticket prices but lower their overall player payroll, which by any measure has to be tied to this divorce situation. I think it's really bad. I don't care what's coming out of Ned Coletti's uh, mouth or what's coming out of Joe Torre's mouth, it cannot possibly be business as usual right now with the Dodgers. Um, it's, it's a really kind of a sad thing to see this kind of thing happening to, certainly for baseball. I mean, it's, the Dodgers are a hallmark um, club. They're in a big market. They have this you know, massive storied history. So it, it is one of those things to where you know, there's, there's questions as to whether Frank McCourt might have to sell the club at some point. Um, and that is going to be a big open question mark um, the divorce proceedings are supposed to take about 11 days to take care of. Um, but I think at the end of the day, you know, it is one of those things that nobody comes out a winner, especially the fans.
1: Well, we saw the Padres before uh, they went through something similar about a year ago and they had to sell the team because uh, the couple that owned that team couldn't afford, you know, neither one of them could afford to buy the other one out. So isn't that what it comes down to is uh, unless Frank can buy Jamie out, he's going to probably have to sell the team.
0: Well, there may or may not be. I mean, there's properties in, in, in play. I mean, there was basically a signed deal that had, um, and this is what Frank is saying, that Jamie will control a bunch of properties that they have and that Frank would control the club. At least that's the direction that Frank is taking. Um, I'm sure Jamie thinks quite differently about it. As, you know, California is a community property state. So, I mean, this, this is what happened with the Moore family or with the Moors and uh, with the Padres. And now you have Jeff Morad, who just this past week took over 51% control of the club. So it is one of those things. I mean, it was horrible for, for John Morris. He was extremely depressed about it and didn't want to sell. And this is what happens when you have a family ownership in California right now.
1: The Tampa Bay Rays, they got to the World Series year before last. They've got a lot of guys, uh, most notably Carl Crawford and Carlos Pena, who could be traded at some point if they fall out of contention and could be free agents. This upcoming offseason. What do you see for the Rays this year?
0: Well, I I think that if they, you know, erase what happened at the beginning of last season, which is they came out of the gate and they were just flat. I think there was just so much expectation um, after the the great year that they had in 2008. um, There may have been some pressure with that. I talked to Joe Madden at the winter meetings, um, and he really pointed to that flat start as the thing that um, was the thing that, that drove them down and they could never really rebound from. It'll be interesting to see. They got Rafael Soriano now, and as a pitcher, and you know if David Price continues to develop, I think that they should be pretty good. They could definitely, you know, rebound back. The big question mark is, you know, are they going to rebound back to the point of being able to to go after the Red Sox and the Yankees like they did in 2008? And that's always a huge open question mark. And you know, is that conversation is there, you know, ever going to be true competitive balance in the AL East?
1: There's some really exciting rookies this year. Uh, obviously, Strasburg with the Nationals, Hayward in uh, Atlanta with the Braves. Talk about some of the young guys coming up this year, because uh, I can't remember a year where I've seen this kind of collection of young talent.
0: Well, I mean, you, you mentioned two of the guys, and then there's certainly Ackley with the, with the Mariners. The big question with with all these guys, with the exception of Hayward, he's going to wind up, uh, he got a roster spot, so he'll be with the Braves. Um Strasburg's going to start in the minor leagues, but it wouldn't surprise me um, as a a case of avoiding salary arbitration, whether they called him up in May. If they keep him down for three weeks to a month, um, they can avoid him becoming what they call a super two and being four years of salary arbitration eligibility. Um, I think those are the main guys to really watch. I mean, there's a lot of excitement, certainly around Strasburg. Um, I watched all of the innings that he pitched in spring training, and he was nothing short of phenomenal. He was down in the zone. He had all the velocity. He had an incredible changeup. He had all of his pitches working, and uh, his control was there. He was—he was, The thing that was most amazing was he was almost exclusively a ground-out guy. He only had one pop fly in the entire spring training in the nine innings that he pitched. Everything else were ground-outs, which is what you want out of a guy. I mean, that's how Jamie Moyer has been able to thrive, being able to throw at low, low velocity was he, he's a ground-ball guy. So if you add velocity – and you're able to get down in the zone like he was, he's going to be the guy to watch. So, I mean, he's the guy I've been mostly focused on, and that's been the big buzz. Um, It's whether the Nationals call him up and win. Um, I'm certainly hopeful. I really hope that they do it. Um, He's going to lend some excitement to a club that's beleaguered and really needs some kind of spark right now.
1: Maury, before we let you go, April 1st was the beginning of Autism Awareness Month. This is an issue that you're very close to. Talk about what you're doing to raise awareness for autism.
0: Well, uh, in 2008, my son was diagnosed with autism, and at that point, right then and there, um, we decided to leverage the Business force Network and our contacts to try and uh, make awareness known for both parents that might have a child that might uh, be on the spectrum or they're thinking that there might be and go and get them diagnosed, and for society as a whole. And we've seen this year a lot of uh, celebrities go and join us in our efforts, whether it's been a Mariners president Chuck Armstrong, who has a granddaughter who has autism, or Alyssa Milano, who has a family member that's connected to it, the actress, uh, Matt Kemp of the Dodgers. Um, There's representatives from Major League Baseball, from the commissioner's office, the NHL. Um, it's really been a fantastic thing, and we're going to be doing a lot of content that goes along with it. Most uh, notably, um, on Thursday, we ran an interview with uh, Shonda and Kurt Schilling. Who have a son with Asperger syndrome, which is a high-functioning form of autism. It's a very insightful interview. It's really quite a different view of Kurt Schilling that we've never seen before, where he's talking about being a parent from long distance and having to basically do stuff by phone and throwing this uh, this challenge in the mix of it. It's really been a, an eye-opening thing, I think, and I think a lot of fans and those that uh, you know might have kids with autism might, uh, would really find interesting. So. You know, we're appreciative of certainly, you know, Sports Business Radio and a lot of corporate sponsors that have backed this. And uh, we hope to continue this on for a long time.
1: Anything we can do to help, uh, you just let us know, and uh, you're to be commended for your efforts. Uh, how can people follow you on Twitter? I know you're a prolific tweeter.
0: They can find me at BizballMory. That's B-I-Z-B-A-L-L-M-A-U-R-Y on Twitter. And, uh, yes, I'm, I'm prolific about it. It's one of those great things for media.
1: Yes. Thank you, Maury, so much. Always good to catch up. We'll talk to you soon.
0: Brian, take care. Thanks so much.
1: You're listening to Sports Business Radio. i will be right back. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. Every championship team has one thing in common, good coaching. And I want to be your coach, your media coach. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form New School Media Coaching. New School Media Coaching uses a fresh and interactive approach for educating our clients about dealing with today's media landscape. Whether you're an athlete, a coach, or a front office executive in the sports or business world, we'll prepare you for communications with the masses in today's social media world where everything is on the record. And just like any good coach, we'll help you practice your new skills and we'll be there to provide constructive feedback every step of the way. With a combined 40 years of experience, we're veteran coaches, but we use a new school approach. For an overview and a list of our services, visit newschoolmediacoaching.wordpress.com or email me At Brian at SportsBusinessRadio.com. The website is SportsBusinessRadio.com. Well, the upset of the NCAA tournament, without a doubt, was Northern Iowa knocking off top-ranked Kansas. And Northern Iowa's coach, Ben Jacobson, definitely cashed in on that big victory over Kansas. He signed a 10-year deal and the deal guarantees the coach $450,000 a year with annual increases of $25,000 through the length of the contract. His former deal was worth about $289,000 a year and ran through 2016. First of all, when I hear these numbers, Bobby, I mean, it's a lot of money to you and me, but for coaches, this is chump change. The guy was making two eighty nine, and now, you know, sure he's getting a nice hefty raise, but even at 450 you compare that to Roy Williams, Mike Saszewski, uh John Calipari, guys like that you're not even in the same universe. No, and there are some assistants that are making
2: more than that routinely at some of the bigger programs, but hey, listen, good for him. The guy gets a hefty pay raise. I'm sure he gets a new car, probably a new house and Life is good on the campus of the University of Northern
1: Iowa. Well, and Jacobson has won the Missouri Valley Conference Coach of the Year Award the last two seasons. You know, I loved watching them. I loved uh, how they beat Kansas, having Ollie pull up and uh, shoot a three there. I went to Loyola Marymount. It totally reminded me of Jeff Fryer coming down on like a one-on-three and just saying, hey, I'm going to take the three. And that's what that kid did and showed a lot of guts. But uh, to me, they were the, the story of the tournament. Butler, obviously, big story, but uh, no one, nobody had Northern Iowa beating Kansas unless you go to Northern Iowa and, you know, you were just rooting for your team. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how the tourney turns out. We'll have the winner of the Sports Business Radio Bracket Challenge announced on our show next week. It could be you, Bobby. It could be. If Michigan State wins, I think if Duke wins, Uh, Our friend David Marsh from the Nines Hotel here in Portland, uh, he's probably going to walk away with the uh, big prize, but we'll see. It's not going to be me. I can guarantee everyone of that. All right, lots of thank yous on our show this week. Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, Doug Zanger, and Brian Griggs. Our sponsors, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon and New School Media Coaching. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com, click on the podcast page. You can find us on iTunes. Type in Sports Business Radio under the podcast section. We'll come up, and you can subscribe to us there. Enjoy your Easter, and we'll talk to you next week. You've been listening to Sports Business Radio.